Hey, good morning, everyone. I am pumped up to be back with you this first Sunday in August. I want to thank our youth pastor, Mike DeLuca, for how wonderfully he taught all of us last week. And if you didn't watch last week's service, well, what the heck are you doing? Go and watch last week's service. And when you do, you'll see Mike teaching us how to lose our lives in order to save them. Now, before I get going this morning, I want to bring you a video update from our missionaries to Lebanon, Dan and Miriam Hutton. And if you think COVID has changed your plans this summer, well, you haven't heard anything yet. Watch as Dan brings us up to date. Hey friends, I just wanted to send you a quick update about our family. A few months ago, uh, I made a video of us sitting on our balcony in Beirut, Lebanon. And now here I am sitting on the front porch of a house in Madison, New Jersey. Uh, we didn't expect to be back stateside. Uh, we were really ready to ride out this coronavirus quarantine, uh, but social unrest and civil unrest in Lebanon has continued to grow as the economic situation has gotten worse, and the area of the city in which our family was residing uh, really became unsafe. Um, the embassy, uh, the U.S. embassy, had been closed for a number of weeks, uh, but there were a few evacuation flights that were offered out of the Beirut airport um, and the, the leadership of the Christian Missionary Alliance decided that it would be best for our family uh, if we evacuated when we had the opportunity. Uh, we continue to watch the news and to speak with our friends back in Beirut uh, and the situation is, is quickly starting to spiral out of control. And so while we are glad uh, that our family is, is safe and close by you all, um, we are also continuing to pray for our friends and the ministries that go on in Beirut. We're expecting uh, that if things are able to settle by the fall, we would return to the field in September for Abigail to begin her school year, uh, for me to be able to teach classes at the theology school. And until that time, we're continuing to help facilitate the refugee ministries remotely uh, and continuing to do the best we can to develop our ministerial networks in Beirut. Uh, it's a strange time for our family, and it's a little bit of a sad time as we grieve losing uh, a ministry and a ministry site that we hold dear. Uh, but we've been encouraged so much by so many of your uh, words of encouragement, your support for our family. Uh, even being close to friends and family at this time has really just been a, a blessing for Miriam and I, and especially for our girls. Uh, so thank you, Mendham Hills, for all that you do for us. Uh, thank you for remembering us in prayer, for encouraging our family. Uh, and we hope to be able to see some of you over the next few months as we figure out what life looks like for us uh, at this time in New Jersey. Uh, many blessings, and we hope to hear from you soon. And so, Menham Hills Community Church, can I ask you this week to be praying for the Huttons and the Christian and Missionary Alliance leadership as they make crucial decisions regarding the whens and hows about that field in Lebanon where Dan and Miriam work. And I think Dan and Miriam would tell you, regardless of how it shakes out for when they get back, pray for Lebanon. They need Christ now more than ever. We're in a new series here at the church called Say This and Not That. The principle underlying all of these teachings is found in the book of James. James was the younger biological half-brother of Jesus. And you can find in the letter he wrote, which is contained in the New Testament portion of your Bibles, absolutely profound wisdom regarding the power of our words, the words we speak to one another, and the words that most of the time in our heads, but sometimes even out loud, that we speak to ourselves. And what I hope you're learning 
because I am right along with you, is that words make worlds, ours and others. James put it this way, the tongue, he said, is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole person and it sets the whole course of his life on fire. The course of one's whole life, according to James, can be controlled by your words. And so with that in mind, two weeks ago I shared with you the most powerful word in the human arsenal. It consists of only two letters, N, O, no. You see, we've become a people who've become so free-wielding in saying yes to everything and everyone. And as a result, we wind up so overcommitted and so overstressed, so overbooked, so overwhelmed. We often wind up with very little time, energy, or enthusiasm for the things that we know would make for a good and balanced life. Guys, if you keep yes, yes, yesing everything, everyone, every purchase, every opportunity, you are actually unintendedly saying no to things you actually really want, like rest and peace and time and energy and freedom. Because if you're not careful with your yeses, you start to say no to some very important things without even realizing it. You can't give God your best yes without learning to give others some no's. And so I hope you've been practicing that. This week, however, I want to shift my focus. No is powerful. No is, as Sean and Iquist put it, the scalpel we can wield to remake our lives. And so the question then begs to be asked, if we need to, if we need to make no more of a default mode in our lives, to what and to who should we be offering a yes? I was reminded of the life-altering power and amount of discretion needed in giving a good yes last week. I wasn't here because my family and I were on a vacation at the beach in Maryland, which was a little bit of a front, actually. Yes, we were on a family vacation, but what my oldest daughter, Courtney, didn't know was that her long-term boyfriend, Ryan, who she's been dating for quite a while now, he comes here to mend him. Ryan was going to surprise her at her favorite spot in Ocean City. He was going to show up completely unexpected and get down on one knee and ask her to marry him. Guys, I have to tell you, it was a breathtaking moment where his family and our family, even extended family, all showed up unexpectedly. She actually didn't even notice many of them were there until it was over. We had all of Courtney's grandparents who couldn't be there because of the virus. We had them all up on, on FaceTime on our phones. The crowd on the decks of the restaurant overlooking the dock and gazebo where Ryan proposed. At first, as you were there, you, you could hear people beginning to murmur that, I think that might be an engagement going on. And, and then as Courtney, who kept repeating in her surprised state, what are you doing here to Ryan? What are you doing here? And finally then Ryan got down on one knee and everybody in the restaurant back on the dock took out all their cameras. Some strangers even began to cry. We all stood by and watched as he spoke what I guess, what I assume, what I hope were loving and beautiful words, but none of us could tell because you couldn't hear them. There was only one word everyone heard and the truth is at that moment there was only one word that really mattered. It was yes. My little girl said yes. And with that one word, her life changed. 
his life changed. In fact, the lives of two families changed, merged, and, and destinies altered. Ladies and gentlemen, that is the potential, that is the power, and that is the promise of a yes rightly given. Now, here's something I learned by watching Courtney and Ryan last week. When you love someone, I mean, when you truly love someone, there is nothing you want more than to give them your yes. Think about it. In general, what's your general disposition to those in your life that you love? In a sense, what do you carry for them in your heart? A yes or a no? Parents, you know this. You may be inclined to tell the salesman no or the taxman no, but we all struggle as moms and dads to tell our kids no. Oftentimes, and again, you know this, to a fault. Our kids probably need a few more no's, but it's hard because love's default is yes. And if that's true for you, and if that's true for me, in our roles as moms and dads, think about how true that is for our Heavenly Father. Jesus tried to explain it this way. Which of you fathers, if your sons ask for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or, or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? See, like any good, good father, God's default answer to you and I is not no, it's yes. Which is kind of hard to believe depending on the religious system you might have been raised in. Because for many of us, we were often introduced to God as the God of no, the God of don't, the God of you shall not. See, oftentimes we tend to see God as the judgmental one off in the corner, sitting with his arms crossed with a disapproving judgment kind of stare, just waiting for the opportunity to tell us no again, don't. But that is not how Jesus spoke of his father. He said, if you think you as fathers, and remember, you're broken and sinful fathers. If you think you want to say yes to your children, you should just see how much your heavenly perfect father wants to say yes to you. Now, of course, just like any good father, he's not going to say yes to us doing things that are going to hurt us. The only thing quicker than a yes to my kids is a no if I sense they're going to do something to hurt themselves or, or mess up their lives. And if I, a sinner, am like that. Can you only imagine how God is? So if God's default mode to his kids is a yes, then to what is it that God says yes to? What is God right now this morning in the heavenly realm and in your living room? To what is God saying yes to you about this morning? The Apostle Paul, who is the, the great first century evangelist, you might know he never met Jesus during his earthly ministry. And, and when the church began to grow in Jerusalem after Jesus' resurrection and ascension, he was the Jewish religious leader most responsible for persecuting this early movement. Paul, whom the resurrected Jesus would come to and change from persecutor to propagator. Paul, who said yes to Christ and responded with church planning expeditions all around the known world, he wrote about God's yeses to a church he had planted in the city of Corinth. Now, by way of background, Paul wrote at least three letters, some scholars say four, to this church he started in Corinth. In his first letter in the New Testament, it's called 1 Corinthians, Paul writes 
a pretty pointed letter to this church he loves regarding how they were living. He was correcting things in their lives, ranging from dietary restrictions to sexual behavior. It then appears, based on his writings, that he, he then went to Corinth for what he refers to as, quote, his painful visit, where I'm guessing Paul challenged them directly now, face-to-face, -face, about what he had written them. Many scholars also believe that then Paul wrote another letter, which we don't have. It's been lost. But he describes then, writing to them, this lost letter with anguish and tears. And likely his third letter, which since we don't have his second one, his third one is in your New Testament called 2 Corinthians, it's there where Paul explains this truth about two kinds of yeses. One from God, and believe it or not, one from us. Now amidst all of the tension in Corinth, lots of false teachers and prophets had sprung up who were telling the Corinthians to disregard Paul and his teaching. One way in which they were doing that was by telling them that Paul couldn't be trusted, that he was fickle, he was all over the place. Specifically, they tried to prove their point by saying, look, Paul had told you he was going to visit you, and now he's changed his plans. He wasn't coming. And so the Corinthians wind up wondering after all of this, where is Paul's heart re regarding them? He's been pretty strict with us. He's been kind of rough, and he said he was coming, and now he didn't even show up. And so that's what was going on in the city, to which Paul writes this. He goes, I wanted to visit you on my way to Macedonia and to come back to you from Macedonia and then to have you send me on my way to Judea. Was I fickle when I intended to do this? Or do I make my plans in a worldly manner so that in the same breath I say both yes, yes, and no, no? In other words, Paul's saying to them, can I be trusted can you rely on what I told you, or am I just, as some of these agitators are telling you, blowing smoke at you guys, telling you what you want to hear, but not actually doing what it is I told you I was going to do? Paul's asking the question, after all we've been through together, church, the letters and the visits, the tears, the pain, the corrections, after all of it, can I be trusted? Am I faithful to my promises? He writes, but as surely as God is faithful to our message to you is not yes and no. As surely as God is faithful, our message to you is not yes and no. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who is preached among you by us, by me, and not Silas and Timothy, was not yes and no, but in him it has always been yes. For no matter how many promises God has made, now get ready, because here is what I want you to hear this morning regarding yes. For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. Paul says to the Corinthians, what he says that God says to, to each of us, yes, yes, I'm faithful. Yes, I can be trusted. Yes, I am not fickle. I'm not just blowing smoke. I'm not just telling you what you want to hear. Do you want to know what God always, 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 100% every time, never fails to say yes to? His promises to you, which at first might not sound like a big deal until you come to understand that by some scholarly counts in the scriptures, God has made not 10 promises, not a baker's dozen, 
but 7,457 promises to you. And he intends to keep, he intends to say yes to each and every one of them. Now think about that. Let me give you an example of how crazy this is. Some of you know the story. God comes to a man named Abram, who would eventually be called Abraham. Abram, this is very early in the, in the scriptures in the book of Genesis, the first book. Abram is a nobody living in the middle of nowhere and God completely out of left field and not because of anything Abram has done. In fact, Paul recounts that story in his letter to the Romans. He says, we call Abraham father not because he got God's attention by living like a saint, but because God made something out of Abraham when he was a nobody. God promises to this nobody in the middle of nowhere that I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Now that's a promise. And he kept it. The nation of Israel is birthed through this man and his family becomes the founding fathers of the faith. It's through the line of Abraham that Jesus, the blessing to all people, is birthed. And today, just think about this promise. Despite not having a homeland for 2,000 years, Israel is back on the map as one of the most powerful nations on earth. It's crazy. God keeps his promises. And guys, if God would keep that promise, if God could keep that promise, I have to ask you this morning, what promise of his to you won't he keep? God, I'm, I'm so afraid today. My anxiety is off the chart. I feel so alone. God, is, is there some way you could, you could be with me? And God says, yes. Have I not commanded you be strong and courageous? Don't be afraid, don't be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Hey God, I'm, I'm so confused, I'm just not sure which direction to go. God, would you help me figure this out? Could you guide me? And, and God again says yes. I'll instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I'll counsel you with my loving eyes on you. Oh my gosh, God, I'm so stressed out. I'm so burned out. I'm so tired of the constant striving. Is there anything you can do to quiet my soul? And God says, yes. Come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me. I'm gentle and humble in heart, and you'll find rest for your souls. God, things seem so uncertain. This COVID thing is wreaking havoc everywhere. The news has got me scared out of my mind. I, I don't want to die. Can you give me some peace? And God says, yeah. Truly, truly, I say to you, if anybody keeps my words, he'll, he'll never see death. God, I'm just weighed down with guilt. I feel so condemned and so unworthy. I've messed up so badly. My conscience is killing me. God, is there any way you could see it in your heart to give me a second chance and and set me free from all this guilt. And to you, God says, yes. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. But God, I mean, I have sinned big time. I have messed up my whole life. God, is there any way that you could forgive me? And God goes, sure. Because if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just and he'll forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. God, one day, 
when this is all over, is there something else? God, I don't know if I'm more afraid of punishment or nothingness. God, would you take me to be with you, to live with you? And God says, yes. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ and God. And when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. And now you can relax. You know why? Because I'm not going to give you 7,000 more. But do you get it? Guys, God has a yes for you in his heart. He loves you like a father, a yes that you can count on, a yes that you can trust in for 7,000 different promises. But here's the deal, in order to feel those truths, in order to live in the presence and the power and the promise of God's yeses, it turns out that a second yes is required, this time not by God. Because in Jesus, God has given his yes to every one of those promises. This yes needs to come from you. Paul continues, for no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. Now here comes the second yes. And so through him, the amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. The amen is spoken by us. We have a role to play in this. And when we speak it, it brings glory to God. John Wartburg points out something so interesting about this line of scripture. Paul introduces a second word here for yes. The first word he uses is kind of a nondescript word. In Greek, it's the word nigh, which was the word for yes. Here, for our yes back to God, Paul uses a variant. He uses the Hebrew word for yes, and it's the word that you know, amen. Now, for us, amen is little more than a word we don't really understand, which we close our prayers with. But that's not how it would have sounded to the people in Paul's day. Because in Israel, they loved this word. It was kind of like a yes on steroids. It wasn't just an affirmative. You can translate amen as so be it, or that's just the way we want it, or absolutely true, or I am really down with that. The great Christian thinker Dallas Willard used to say, if you want to, you could translate amen Whoopee! For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Whoopee! See, in Israel, they love that word. In fact, the rabbis used to say, anytime you heard a blessing, even if you were not in church, when God's, and think about this in our own lives, when God's goodness was being evoked on someone, you were obligated by the Torah, by the law, to respond, amen, let it be so. This is just the way we want it. I love when this happens. Whoopee! And you can't respond with a whoopee if you don't really believe it, if you don't really trust it. See, what Paul is saying is it's our job to respond to God's yeses to all of his promise with a yes of our own. Yes, God, I know this is true. Yes, God, I believe it. I'm so certain of it. I'm planning on it. I'm excited by it. I'm looking expectantly forward to it with certainty. That's how we say yes to God. Have you noticed we have a hard time saying no to people? We don't want to disappoint anybody, but why is it so easy for us to say no to God? And I can't help but think a lot of our no's would turn to yeses if we really trusted in him. And in the irony of ironies, how do you begin to trust God? Will you begin to say yes after yes after yes? 
See, God wants us to build our lives on his promises. He will say yes each and every time to each and every one. But our problem is we often don't trust him. We trust ourselves, our money, our treasures, our works, our hearts, our friends, Dear Abby columns, some psychic friend, some psychic your friend told you to go to, the latest thing a commercial promise would make you feel successful. God's going, no, 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 don't, don't trust that stuff. Say yes to me and no to that. Trust my yes. See, you, your trust builds. Your life builds with every single yes. And so the question has to be asked, when's the last time you gave God your best yes and said no to trusting yourself or your heart or your ways? It's in giving God our yeses to his promises that we build our lives as wise men. Maybe you were a kid in Sunday school and you sang that old song, a wise man builds his house upon a rock. He builds his life upon the rock of what? God's promises, not the sinking sand of his own ways. See, when I first came to understand who Jesus was, I returned to the, the church of my youth looking for him there. It was an old Presbyterian church. Most of the services left a lot to be desired. And the worship time was unfortunately usually anything but worshipful. Oftentimes it seemed more like a competition over who was going to sing the lowest. Yet there were some amazing truths found in some of those old hymns that everybody was pretending to sing. One of those was a song called Standing on the Promises. I'm really dating myself now, I'm sure, but some of you might remember it. Standing, standing, standing on the promises of Christ my Savior. Standing, standing, standing on the promises of God. Why? Because God says yes to his promises. You can trust them and you can build your life on them. Look, the first thing that each of us has to decide to do is to say yes to the invitation of Jesus. Jesus invites us to lay down our lives to repent of our sins, to change the way we think, in other words, to change the direction we're walking in, to confess those sins with our mouths, to believe in our hearts that Jesus is who he said he was, that he was the truth and the life, and that no one comes to his Father except by him, by his atonement, his substitutionary atonement for our sins on the cross. That is God's predominant, preeminent promise. It is the promise on which all other promises rest. It is, as Paul referred to Christ, the cornerstone promise on which we build. Have you said yes to this? Because if you haven't, you're likely building your life on shifting sands, on the unkept promises of others. Conversely, I know many of you watching this morning have said yes to this promise of Christ, but you followed up that initial yes with lots of no's. Yes, I believe Jesus who he is who he said he is, but no, God, I'm not going to do that. No, God, I'm not going to go your way. No, God, it's, it's my body. I'll do with it whatever I want. No, God, it's my money. I'll do with it whatever I want. No, God, it's my kid, my spouse, my job, my house, my plans, my dreams. And so we say yes to ourselves, but no to God's promises. And we wonder why our Christian lives have amounted to so little. We laid a cornerstone but built nothing on top of it. And here's what I want you to do this week. 
I want you to begin to shift the way you think. I want you to start saying yes to the promises of God. Get your computer out and look up the promises of God. You could buy a, 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 I used to have one on my my desk. All of the promises of God, and they would lay out uh, under different topics. There's 7,000 of them. This week, I don't know, I'm going to give you a number because it's going to correspond with what we're going to talk about here. Pick nine. Nine out of 7,000 isn't that hard. This week, try to say yes to nine promises. Say amen, whoopee, and don't just believe them. Make the changes in your life that you would if you really believe them. I saw a visual this week. It's helped me so much that I actually want to share it with you. The first promise that you need to say yes to is the one that we just talked about. It's the cornerstone promise. This is where we're going to build. We're going to build on the gospel of Jesus, the promise of of God that through Christ he will forgive us of our sins. If we will follow Jesus, if we will repent of our sins, we'll change our directions and cast all of our faith upon him. That's the cornerstone promise. If you haven't done that this week, I just want to encourage you to take that step of faith and just watch how your life begins to build. Now the second piece, the second piece is once you say yes to Christ, what we need to do is start to to say yes to the understanding of of the things the Holy Spirit is going to point out in our life. We need to say yes to confessing our sins. Maybe maybe in living a lie, I don't know what it is. Maybe maybe you're embarrassed, maybe you're ashamed, maybe you think that God has given up on you and I, I don't know, you're embarrassed to bring those things to God. But we need to say yes to this concept if we would confess our sins that God is faithful and just and he'll forgive us of our sins. Say yes this week to confessing your sins. Now as we do, we begin to build our life off of this cornerstone. Many of us, these sins have taken deep root. They've formed ruts and mind patterns in our lives. Some of us have even gotten ourselves addicted to all kinds of things. I don't know what it could be. It can range from alcohol and drugs to pornography and food. We get ourselves caught up in a ton of stuff. And then we don't, because of shame or something else, we don't want to go and ask for the help. This week, would you say yes to the conviction of the Holy Spirit? But not just conviction. Maybe this is the week you go to that AA meeting. Maybe this is the week that you ask for some help. I don't know what it is for you, but maybe this is the week that you readjust your life off of that cornerstone and you start to say yes to God. How about relationally? Maybe this is the week you say yes to what God's been saying about that guy you're with. Well, you know, he's very handsome or he makes a lot of money, but he is no interest in God. And you know the promises of God. You know God's desire for you. Maybe this is the week you step out in faith. You trust the promises of God. Maybe this is the week you end that relationship. Some of us have gotten into relationships over the years, and I remember because I've married some of you, and I know you stood before me and you told me you were going to prioritize that woman, that family. You were going to make that the most important thing in your life, but you haven't. You've let the time slip away. You've let your eyes wander. Maybe you're not spending the time you need to at home. This week, say yes to prioritizing your family. I don't know what that means for you. 
but listen to where the Holy Spirit is convicting you. Say yes to God. That might mean for some of you an apology. The scriptures tell us that if we know our brother has something against us, we should leave our gift at the altar and we should go and make ourselves be made right with our brother. You need to say yes to God this week and apologize. Who do you owe an, an I'm sorry to for what I said, for what I did? Conversely, conversely, this might be the week that you need to say yes to God through the conviction of the Holy Spirit and ask forgiveness. You know what you did. You know what you said. You might not have meant it. But the Holy Spirit is calling you to forgive. Will you say yes to God? How about this one? Maybe this is the week, this is the summer, especially now more than ever. <laughs> Maybe this is the week that you start to say yes to God in terms of the way you manage your money, your finances. Maybe this is the week that you sit down and go, I gotta start prioritizing God with the first fruits of my money, not just what's left over. Maybe I need to sit down with my wife or my husband and make a budget so that we live responsibly before God with our stuff. Would you say yes to God when it comes to things like that? We could go on. There's 7,000 promises. This week, this week can I ask you, as I gotta find my yes here, this week can I ask you, stop lying. I don't know what that lie is. I don't know what lie has been perpetuated. I don't know, sometimes we build our lives just pretending to be somebody or posing. This week, trust God. Stop pretending. I'm gonna give you one more that I work with a lot. This week, this week, can I ask you to say yes to your spouse? Actually, I'm asking you to say yes to God because God has called each of us to be that are in these committed marital relationships to make them as best as we can a reflection of Christ in the church. And I know I, I, I just, I work with so many folks and, and they know their marriage needs work but it's, it's painful and so they just leave it. Maybe this week is the week you say yes to some counseling for your relationships or, or maybe just your life. Now guys, when you do this, when you stack your yeses, when you say yes to where God through the Holy Spirit is leading you, when you say yes, God, yes, God, yes, God, it might not change your immediate circumstances, but here's what I know will happen. Here's what I know it will change. It will, if you will commit yourself to God and his ways. It will begin to change who you trust. It will change to whom you say amen. Let it be. This is so true, so awesome, so amazing. May it be, let it be, whoopee. See, this is how we give God our yes. We trust. And how do we build our trust? The same way we build our lives, we stack our yeses on the promises of God. And of course, our model is always the Lord Jesus Christ, who denied himself, took up his cross, and said yes to God. The same Jesus who in the Garden of Gethsemane cried out to God, let this cup pass from me, nevertheless, yes, God. It's this Jesus who, who ends the Bible with one final yes. Check this out. Did you know the Bible actually ends with a yes and an amen, John writes it in Revelation. 
He who testifies to these things, that's Jesus who testifies to all 7,000 plus promises of God. They're all summed up in him. His life, his death and resurrection validates all of them. It testifies to all of them. Says, yes, I am coming soon. Jesus says, yes, I'm coming soon. It's one last yes to you. It's one last promise. And what is John's response? Amen. Yes. Let it be so, Lord. I can't wait. This is so good. It's so true. Whoopee. Come, Lord Jesus. Menem. God has given you his yes time and time and time again, over 7,000 of them. This week, give him yours. And may you live in the coming days in a state of perpetual whoopee to the promises of God. Start saying yes.